This is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Here you will find truth talk for relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Here we will unveil truth for color. Light is where you'll find truth, and truth is where you'll find color. Color is where you'll find God. Now more than ever, we need Him. Now more than ever, we need to be assured He hasn't abandoned us. Now more than ever, we need to be reminded of this truth. We need to share our stories. Stories of God's hand in our lives, the ways in which He protects us and provides for us, loves us. We must remind one another that despite what we see in the world around us, the sorrow and the struggle that often seems to spoil the beauty here, that it still exists, still boldly cries out to the glory of our God, that in spite of pervasive evil, love still wins. Our God is still assuring us of this. He's still sending us signs of His devotion to us, still encouraging us to trust Him. And this is a place for talking about it, for bringing examples into the light to encourage one another, for exposing our miracles for celebration, and sharing our supernatural stories. Here we are also sharing the everyday too, the ways in which our God is at work for us. The truth of who we are in God is an exciting place to be. It's a place where we can be confident, joyful, and expectant. And it's also a place where we may affirm one another's relevance. We all have sacred purpose here. We are designed to help one another achieve it. That starts with telling our stories. My next guest is someone who has encouraging stories to tell. And she is my first guest that reached out to me after hearing this podcast to say, you know, I have some stories I'd love to share on Color Speak, which is absolutely delightful. Like I've said here before, this is God's space. And so I'm open to allow God to lead me to the people he'd like us to hear from, those who have been given something from him to help us along on our journeys. Author and missionary Grace Gross is just such a person. She reached out to me a couple of weeks ago after listening to Color Speak, and I am excited to have her here to share with us. Hello, Grace. Hello, Janet. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that you are. Hey, so please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Grace S. Gross. I grew up in Texas originally, but my husband and I live right now in northwest British Columbia. We've been here for about three years in this area, but have been involved in ministry with indigenous people groups all over the world for the last 26 for me and 30 for him. Wow. Wow, wow. That's awesome. So how did you determine that this is what you were doing? How were you called to this? to be missionaries? I grew up in a non-denominational Bible church, so I knew the Lord from a young age. I actually met him when I was six, or became a follower of Jesus's when I was six. But I didn't know I was going to go into any sort of work with indigenous people. I had originally planned my life out completely. I, you know, by the time I was done with high school, I was planning to go to college to get my business finance degree, and I was going to work in business. 
And then, um, you know, sometimes God, I'm sure he laughs when we have all our plans just like laid out in front of us. You know, we have it all nice and neatly tucked away. And he's just like, mm-hmm, sure. we'll see about that. So when I... Yeah. Yeah, I've got some business for you, all right. It's no, not what you're thinking. No, it wasn't yeah. at all what I was thinking. I did actually go to Colorado Christian College. I got my business finance degree with a minor in Bible. And then I went into the business world uh, for several years. I worked as a business manager for an oil field corporation as well as a purchaser for a hotel renovation firm. But it was during that time as a purchaser that I went to a mission conference at my church and the Lord made it very abundantly clear that I was to go work with indigenous people. Okay, so define that. Did you have an idea of specific people groups, or was that very nebulous for you? Was that a term he used, or was it something that you just understood that's what he wanted you to do? I knew that I was always interested in uh, Native Americans and First Nations people. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a Native American. I, you know, I made pottery. I did beadwork. I worked archery. I built teepees. <laughs> I, did, I did many things as a kid. I mean, skinny little white girl going, doing all this stuff. So that was always an interest of mine. And I believe that he planted that seed in me really young. Yeah. So when the, the conference came about, I knew that I was probably going to pursue something with Native American or First Nations people. Yeah. So was this prior to meeting your husband? Oh, much prior. Yes. This was, um, oh my okay. goodness, how it was several years before that. I say about five years before meeting my husband, yes. Okay. So when you met him, did he have the same idea in mind or was that sort of new to him? That thinking. No, I already, I already kind of knew that if I was ever going to get married, my my family thought that I was just going to be, you know, a bachelorette for all eternity. <laughs> but I knew that I was going to be interested in somebody who was in in some sort of work with Indigenous people. So he was already well along his way when I met him in that field. So it was something that God did to just encourage you. That connection encouraged you rather on your mission. Yes, he, and well, the Lord knows, I mean, we were, we were thousands of miles apart. Like how in the world we even met each other was a work, an act of the Lord. We, I was uh, working in New Mexico at the time and he was working in British Columbia at the time. And it was through mutual friends that I went to some training at that uh, talked to him and they talked to me and we were first at like, no, been said it before, talk to the hand, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> but he um, took the, the first minute after a friend um, told him about me, and then he started writing. It was in the era of writing. We weren't just, like, texting each other. We actually wrote for a little while and then moved to emails and then phone calls. That's a lost art. I really think we should bring that back. I read something not too long ago by a fellow author that really hit me, and it was something, and I'm paraphrasing, that said, essentially, when you write in in your own hand, you preserve something very special, sort of a part of you for all time, that whenever somebody reads that note, it's almost as if they have a part of you with them, which is especially important in times where there's some separation. I thought that was just so beautiful. I had to think about... That is beautiful. Yeah, isn't it? And I was thinking about my dad. He had this thing for writing us cards. Even he would mail it from the office to the house so that... I would get his cards. <laughs> when we That's great. How, how sweet is that? That is so sweet. Yeah. I just, well, yeah. the, the quote of, you know, the weakest memory is, you know, or the strongest memory is better than the weakest ink. 
You know, the sure. fact that if something is written down, it when we have the scriptures. Think of those. I mean, those yeah. are love letters from the Lord to us. Exactly. And they last us all these millennia. <laughs> so it's very important. That's a great analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting because every time I pull his card out or something that my grandmother wrote, anybody that I've lost, you know, that has has passed away, it sure does feel like they're present with me again, just holding it and remembering that it was by their hand. Yeah. You know, and they they just they poured their soul out onto that that card or piece of paper and wow, there's nothing like it. We need to get back to that, I think. I, I totally agree. I'm very much a pen and paper kind of girl before moving into any sort of computer or that kind of digital medium. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, and it's interesting, you can train your head, you know, this isn't, obviously, it's interesting how some of these conversations go. We're off, we're off into the weeds, as someone might have said. But uh, I'll just say that it is interesting <laughs> that when I was in grad school, I got my degree, one of them in journalism. And everything was handwriting at that point. But I had to learn getting a master's of journalism, how to transition mm-hmm. over to get this a typewriter, which floors my kids, <laughs> floors them. Like what? You used a uh-huh, typewriter? Type. Writer. Yes, uh-huh. yes, an actual typewriter, 1986. There I am in my room, and every time I made a mistake, out came the paper, and there was a new uh-huh. one, and it was pretty insane. I said, you have it so easy now. But you know what's fascinating is that once I transitioned and I learned how to do that, and I, I learned how to train my mind to do, to do that, that when I mm-hmm. then started using a computer, I then had to train my mind again to work efficiently and smoothly uh, allowing my thoughts to go from my mind straight to the keyboard instead of through a pen. Well, truthfully, at this point, I um, I actually have written both of my books pen to paper, and then I've, I've typed them into the computer because I really, when I say pen and paper girl, I truly am a pen and paper girl to start with. That is amazing. Okay, so that's the perfect opportunity there to talk about you a little bit more. So tell me, when you first reached out to me, I had no idea you were a fellow author. Isn't that funny? Um, tell me about your books. Sure. Um, my first book was Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. It's a Christian science fiction book, and it's got lots of adventure and humor and a little bit of romance. But I, I had never thought, you know, some people dream of being an author since they were like little bitty, like, you know, eight or nine or younger. And I never knew I was going to be an author, although I've written yeah. my entire life. I've got, like, sheets of journals and books and stacks, and, but I never dreamed of being an author until I went to a writer's group with my friend Nancy Huber, who you've had on this podcast. Yeah. And she introduced me to this wonderful writer's group, and we, we do writes every, every two weeks, and we usually introduced words that we were supposed to write about for the next week. And one of the words was spacewalker. And... I wrote a little short story to present to our group, and then the, the word just kind of kept growing in my mind, and it kept growing on the paper, and I realized, oh my goodness, this is a book. And then as I was praying one day, the Lord said, write, in capital letters, like in my <laughs> mind, I could see it, with an exclamation point at the end of it. And he gave me the ideas and the plots for the three books right now in the series of the Quantum Spacewalker series. That is great. I'm so glad to hear that your friend Nancy encouraged you. That's so important. So what is the premise of your books? I mean, without giving it away, what's what's the story? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 series, the series is, it's got three themes for three books. Um, the second book will be complete coming out February uh, 15th. That is Quantum Spacewalker and Nira's Assignment. And the third book is in process. 
But the first book was dealing with hope. And it is an apocalyptic book. It's dealing with end-time stuff, but with a different twist. Because so many of the people are dealing with um, need of provision. Like, the Lord takes care of his people. And I really wanted people to think about the Lord in a way that they might not have thought about him before or known him before. So this is a book of hope where the protagonist, Jarl, is going to be providing hope and physical provision for God's people. And you'd have to read the book to find out how he does that. But it is chock full of hope and just the fact that the Lord is not going to abandon his people in very dark times. Hmm. The second book is going to be focused on healing. Wow, that that's extremely poignant and very needed at this point in in the world. We need to have that hope. So, so you said you didn't even think about writing a book, and now that you're in the groove, you're you're just you're off to the races. So, how does that look for you? Are how, where do you get your ideas? Do they just flow from the Lord? Are you are you still bouncing ideas off of other people? How are you coming up with your storylines? Well, when I did when the Lord told me to write in those capital letters, he gave me some pictures of the three books that he wanted for sure written, and I only have little little pieces of the plot. He gave me like some, some high points of the plot, so I have high points of each book's plot, but everything else, it's a discovery process. Hmm. I've heard it said that uh, there's different kinds of writers, and some are, are discovery writers, some call them panthers, and others are plotters or planners. And I am more of a, I'm, I'm sort of halfway in between. I've got a very loose kind of plan, but most of it is discovering as I write. And that's the fun of it, because some things have yeah. really surprised me as I've written. Yeah, I think so, too. And I've talked to other authors about that. That's exactly in line with my way of doing things. And I I love allowing God just the freedom to work within me as, uh, as I say, an imperfect vessel <laughs> that that is responsive to wherever he's leading me, because honestly, I don't have enough creativity to plot something out. So that wouldn't work for me. I just have to kind of go with it. And, and even where I kind of feel the same way, (laughs) like, you know, even with this podcast, you know, life is full and all of that. I just, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to sit down and say, or even think about what we're going to talk about and see that's the freedom Mm -hmm. and beauty of all of this that I don't have to, I can just turn the reins over to God and kind of sit back on autopilot and let it roll. So that's very cool. (laughs) I love that. That sounds great. Very, very cool. So, you know, one of the things here, a couple, you know, twofold purpose here at Color Speak is really to talk about those things that God is doing and to highlight those supernatural experiences that we would call miracles, as well as the everyday mm-hmm. ways that he supports us. Because, you know, when we do that, we share such gems with one another. And it's just, it's a perfect symbiotic relationship for us to do this because your experiences are different than my experiences. And that way I can take delight and encouragement for what is happening in your life that is contrary or different than what is happening in mine, but all of it working to the good of those who are called according to Christ. And and that is just, it's so encouraging to be able to do that. So that's one of the reasons you're here is to share some of your miraculous stories that you've already sort of highlighted a little bit. Absolutely. I don't really know a lot. You know, that was my full disclosure, too, is that not only did I not know really what we were going to talk about today, because we're letting the Holy Spirit do his thing, 
but you had given me just a, a few little things, tidbits, and I said, well, wait a minute, I, I don't even need to hear them because I want to just hear them fresh when we're on the podcast and just feel the, the Holy Spirit sort of blowing in. But, you know, the other part of it is just that we would each of us feel relevant no matter what we're doing, you know, no matter where yeah. we are in our lives, our ages, um, whatever we're doing for employment, wherever we live, we're all supposed to be feeling fulfilling our sacred purpose. And that is to do whatever we're doing to the glory of God. And so I want to hear about all of that. And I know that you and I have, uh, we were just talking at the beginning of this phone call about how we both live on farms. And so there's a, there's just even, boy, I can relate to when you're doing the farm tours and it just feels pretty lonely and pretty unrewarding. Sometimes, yes, yes. it does. <laughs> that, uh, well, I know. Well, can I just tell you a quick story? Because this actually course. is a miracle, how God gave us this place. Yes. The place that we're at now, we had, um, we had no, the Lord has surprised us. Like he surprised me with writing and he surprised us with how he moved us back to D.C. Uh, my husband and I had lived in D.C. He lived here for 11 years before we married, then for one year after we did, and then we moved to Alberta, which is the next province over in Canada. And we were there for 15 years. We did a lot of traveling during that time overseas and within Canada. Like, we were gone pretty much the 15 years that we lived there. We were traveling half that time in different ways. But the Lord made it clear in 2017 that we were going to move back to D.C. Neither of us had planned on this. I remember walking into my house in Alberta, and I had the thought hit me, I have really loved living in this house. And snap, I knew at that moment that we were going to move. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I know I love living in Alberta. What are you doing to us, God? Kind of a thing. So um, we took a, an exploratory trip and prayed our way through a good portion of northwestern British Columbia. And I looked online for houses, knowing kind of a rough estimate of what we wanted, but I saw this house in our current area, the house that we're now living in, and it was just like the Lord said, that is your house. It was on five acres. It was beautiful. The interior was full of wood. I love wood. I grew up in a log house. So I really like wooden interiors. Mm -hmm. And I saw it, and I'm like, that's our house. So I got on Google Earth, and I went and saw the house from the top, and I prayed around the borders of the property. <laughs> just like, I am claiming this house for us in Jesus' name. <laughs> <laughs> That's and the way to do it. It was under con it was under contract at the time and we talked with realtors when we did our trip and checking out new areas. Uh we talked with realtors, saw the house twice. They were like it's under contract and it's going to be sold, so you should just look at these other houses. And we're like, uh, nope, this is our house." So, we had to go to Australia. It was a for my 50th birthday party. We saw the house. We immediately left just a couple of days later for Australia for a month. And they were like, the house is going to be sold. We'll look at other houses by the time you get back. And I'm like, no, it's not. The Lord is giving us this house. So I told the realtor this. And he kind of looked at me like I was growing a horn out of the middle of my forehead sure. or something. Yeah. But um, sure enough, we got back from Australia, and the house was still available, and put in a secondary offer. Everything worked just smoothly right after that, even up to the sale of our house and everything. The Lord worked it out completely. And the, the realtor is still kind of... Like, I, you people are a little <laughs> odd, but, you know, I'm glad the household, yay. But that was just one of the ways that the Lord got us to the place that we are right now. That is so awesome. We sort of have a similar story, and 
I wrote about it a little bit in my memoir. It, uh, yeah, I mean, just where we are just south of Kansas City and the way that we got the property was nothing short of miraculous. And so every day that I've lived here for, well, going on 20 years now, I have been just so thankful and have felt the presence of the Lord here so strongly. And I know that people that have come on and stepped on the property have said, I can I can feel his holy angels. I know they're here. And so it's a great feeling when you yeah. have that conviction and you know that that's what he's saying. So now we're just praying to find out what our next step is here on this end. So as far as you're concerned, you and I talked briefly the other day as I was headed off to Manhattan and I was driving down I-70 headed west and you knew exactly where I was <laughs> because you were you were familiar with this area in the Flint Hills. And <laughs> anyway, I I would like to hear, well, we talked a little bit about the fact that you are we're not going to mention the indigenous people that you're working with out of respect to them, but that you and your husband are both working jobs as you act as missionaries. And that is intentional. And, and I think that is, that's absolutely the way to do that, to make friends and to create trust long before you have any message to give. Absolutely. There is, well, because of the, background with the indigenous peoples in actually much of the world. It's not just the U.S. and Canada, but in Russia, too. They had the same kind of oppressive systems in place to try to educate them, to try to do all these, um, you know, training them, forcing them into a mold that they were not, that there is great hurt still lingering, which which is understandable because there was yeah. such uh, great abuse. So anything having to do with the church or Jesus, a lot of times, is just an immediate, no, you know, big wall goes up. You're not going to breach that wall. You're stuck in a box, and you're never getting out of it. So many of the things that uh, the Lord has us do are just, we are part of the community, and that is the way he wants it to be. Like, my husband is a traditional lawyer, which means he makes traditional archery equipment. I work at the post office, and uh, I make tie-dye t-shirts and sell them at the market. <laughs> because of that, we are we are in part of the community, and that is just puts us at a peer to peer level, which is how it should be. Yeah, that's absolutely true, for sure. So, how's that working out for you? Is there something that you can speak about that's been remarkable as far as your exposure and interaction there? Yes, the Lord has done amazing things. When He said, when He told us when we were moving, He's like, it is going to be about being instead of doing. And everybody knows that anybody in uh, working with any people group around the world, it's all about doing. There's a lot of doing that goes along. So this was mm-hmm. change for us in our thinking, and we tried to follow and stay in step with the Lord with that. And He is the one that opened the doors wide for us. He connected us through a language class. We've been trying to learn the language. And it was during that language class that, lo and behold, somebody there was interested in archery, uh, which led into meeting their family and seeing how they do traditional smokehouse stuff. And then uh, we were able to spend some time with them and start looking into the Bible. And that grew from there so that now we have, well, we've moved to online studies, but we've been doing studies online now for several months. Well, more than that. We've been doing the studies for over a year, but the studies have moved online for the last few months. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of people grow and grow deeper in their in understanding of their relationship with Jesus. 
That's that's terrific. There's a book that came out a few years ago. It's called God Space. It's one of my favorites. It just talks about creating that space in order for God to work efficiently. And it really speaks to the understanding that what has to happen first is love and kindness. After love and kindness is in place, and then there's this trust, this is this relationship that's been established, then you're in a position to talk to someone about the truth of who Jesus is and to encourage them to faith. Otherwise, mm-hmm. otherwise, it's sort of hard. You know, I and even I recall during that time that I didn't know him and I had moved from San Diego here to Kansas City and was meeting new parents at the school. And one of the first things a woman said to me was, hi, my name is so-and-so. Do you have a church? And I remember I was really sort of put off by that. <laughs> I can tell you now because I didn't, I wasn't a believer then and I was sort of cringing. I thought, what is that? Why are you asking me that? It's invasive. And, and, and frankly, <laughs> It's for like, right. ask me to coffee. Let's talk a little first. Yeah, I thought it was weird. Like yep. And so I was like, hmm, I'm going to stay away from her. She's a little much. So I get it. I get it. It's not, it's not going to work unless you can put yourself in a position where you're just loving and enjoying the people that you're around first. Well, and the Lord totally fills you up with that love. Like, I mean, he's, it's his compassion. It's his love. It's his desire to see people reconciled. I mean, his heart is reconciliation. And, I mean, there's so much brokenness in families and communities and with, you know, interpersonal relationships that that reconciliation is is kind of bottom line key for interacting with anybody around here. Yeah. Well, backing up a little bit, tell me how you, you said you came to know Christ at six, but I know that one of the things that you told me was that you had this incredible experience when you were 14. You had a vision that saved your life. That's crazy. Yeah, it's totally, it is crazy. It's especially crazy because the church that I grew up in is, um, they, they didn't necessarily think that the Holy Spirit works in certain ways today, yeah. but we have since found out that he does. Uh-huh. And I wasn't expecting, I was never taught, you know, you know, visions are for today or any prophetic things or anything like that. So when I started having visions around 13, 14, I was like, um, I don't know really what to do with this. I didn't talk to anybody about them. And I only saw a couple of little sh- short ones before the one that saved my life. And it was, they were like movies. They would play out before me and they would happen in actuality, like exactly as I saw them very shortly thereafter. So this one particular vision, I was, um, we lived in a very remote area in Texas. It was very wooded. There wasn't a lot of neighbors at all, anywhere close to us. And I rode my bike a lot on our road, and there was a pool in the subdivision several miles down the road that I was going to go hang out at the pool and do some sunbathing and this kind of thing. So I was out riding my bike toward this. And as a Texas girl, I always had, you know, some sort of a weapon with <laughs> me because, well, you know, Texans just sure. do that. So I had this, you know, big buck knife with me, but I was just thinking about hanging out at the pool. And this car passed me, this truck, and it was full of three large men. And I, I didn't think anything of it. And they passed me, and they went around a curve, and I couldn't see them anymore until I was kind of coasting down this hill, and this vision right in front of my eyes, as clear as day, saw them pulled over on the other side of the road waiting for me around the curve. And I was like, uh, and I, was, I was disoriented by it. I didn't know what to do, and I was hurtling down the hill, and I went around the curve, and sure enough, they were there waiting for me. And I was like, oh, Lord, um, hmm. I wasn't really close to the Lord at that time. I, he and I were kind of on the outs. But I turned the bike around. I was a ways away from home. Start pedaling furiously, grab my buck knife out, and cry out to the Lord and said, 
please help me because otherwise I'm toast. And sure enough, they start the car and they come up after me and, you know, I'm pedaling as fast as my little skinny white girl legs will carry me. And they pace with me for a while. They're kind of looking at me and I'm, I'm showing them my buck knife trying to look fierce, which I'm sure was completely laughable. And they paced with me and paced with me. It felt like forever, but I'm sure it was just a few seconds. And then they start laughing and they decide to drive on by and go around the curve. When they were out of sight, I tossed myself and my bike over the fence and went through the very thick woods that couldn't be seen from the road back to my house, knowing that God had saved my life. Because there was plenty of stories of girls going missing and being left in the woods in not good good circumstances. Sure. So you had, while you were on that bike, you had a vision of exactly what was going to happen as you rounded the corner. And as you rounded the corner, you were proven correct. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's not surprising to me. That's how God works. And he absolutely came to your aid that day. I'm glad that things worked out for you. He totally did. I I know very clearly. And that, that put me back into a better place with the Lord. I was being a rebellious teenager. And he kind of showed me, you know what? I love you. And I really do have a plan for your life. It's not time for it to end now. Yeah. Wow. So, and then you had others that it wasn't, that was just the beginning. What else can you share with us? I, I had this, so I know you gave me a list. I don't have it in front of me, me right now, but you talked about some other things that happened that were pretty remarkable. Truly. I know that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with George Mueller. Have you ever heard of his name or know of his ministry? I have. Okay. Yes, I have. So you know about him. He was, back in the 1800s, he was yes. a German man who started orphanages for mm-hmm. um, little poor orphans in London. And he did. wanted to encourage the Church of God. Like, his whole purpose for doing things the way he did was to encourage the Church of God and expect them to believe big things from a big God. So he never told anyone about his needs. He just prayed, only prayed. Occasionally he would recruit a few other people to pray with him, but he wouldn't broadcast the needs for the orphans or himself. And he would trust the Lord to provide. And the Lord did for 60 years yes. until yes. like, he grew to be taking care of thousands of orphans at one time, all through um, just the Lord's provision from him praying. So I read this book. I was given it to, to me by a friend in college, and I read it. And I was like, wow, that's really a cool biography. And I sort of tucked it away, but it, once again, it was the Lord planting a seed. And when he showed me that he wanted me to work with indigenous people, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do the traditional go out, raise money for three or four years before you get to go to the mission field. I want this to be sped up a little bit. I want to, I want to go like George Mueller did. And I was working with an organization that, that definitely was not their plan for newbies going out on the field. So I I prayed and fasted for three days and said, Lord, I need to know from you if this is the way you want me to go. Are you going to, like, if I try this, are you going to let me start? Am I going to go out there and just, you know, like wither up and die? So (laughs) I was in a Bible study at the time that had a lot of looking up Hebrew and Greek words and concordances, you know, with with a concordance. So I had a dream on the last day of this fasting time, and two Strong's letters, Greek Strong's letters, came up in big, bold, black ink and kind of hovered in front of me in this dream. And the first one was 3911, 
and the second one was thirty nine ninety three. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So it was five o'clock in the morning. I woke up, I wrote them down, I went back to sleep. And I looked them up when I got up. The first one, thirty nine eleven in the Greek, was to come alongside, to bear away, to carry off. And the second one was starvation. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. Oh, oh, I know he does. He laughs at me so much when we ha- I have those exact moments with him. Yeah, he's charming, isn't he? <laughs> so once, once I figured out, okay, um, I can go forward with this. You're not going to let me starve. Then I wrote a proposal to the organization I was working with and said, I'd like to go like George Mueller did. And I want you to give me a year test period. And if I, if I, you know, he takes care of me, then please let me continue. And amazingly enough, I was the first one and that they ever let do this in the mission or that the group that I worked with. And uh, I went within three months. I was out where I was going to work at Broken Arrow Bible Ranch in New Mexico. And you were completely provided for. And I was completely provided for <laughs> and have been ever since. Yes, I need to add that for sure. He has generously taken care of us ever since that time. So I love that you think about George Mueller. It's uh, I read the book too, and I did. Oh gosh, we I homeschooled my kids. There was we used the Sunlight Program as part of our curriculum, and there were a oh, number wonderful. of books we read. Yeah, by missionaries, and that was one that really made an impression on me. It really stood out. And the, the remarkable thing about it was this man would he had all of these children to provide for, and then there were countless stories of how he ran out of food and then he literally went to God that night and within, you know, just a short period of time, all of a sudden there was a miraculous delivery of milk and groceries <laughs> on the doorstep every time. That's and right. He, like yeah. the bread truck broke down outside <laughs> exactly. of the orphanage, you know, yeah, stuff like that was happening very frequently. And it we was. see that happen also in our lives. Sure. Similar stories. Yeah. And, and the way that he works and he's so responsive, it's just, it, it blows my mind. I, my husband and I have done a little mission work. We, nothing like you, but there was a time and it would have been back around 2007, 08. And I was just really, really feeling like we needed to do some mission work. And so I was going to pastor my husband about it. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, just wait a minute, just wait a minute, I'm working on him. And you'll know it's from me if you don't bring anything up about it. And he approaches you about it. And Uh we, we had, listen, we had eight small kids in our home at the time. We had already looked into fostering. There was no way that was going to happen because we had too many kids under the age of 18 at the time. And it's probably still the case. You couldn't have six or more under the age of 18 and foster. And we had eight. So that wasn't going to work. But I just felt like we really needed to be doing something. So I prayed about it. And uh, I'm telling you what, lightning fast, it happened. (laughs) I just, the next Uh thing I knew, I was sick and I don't get sick often, but I was sick and I couldn't go to church. So he took the kids and went to church. And while we were gone, a missionary showed up at church talking about Haiti. Now, remember in 08, before the earthquake happened in 2010, People didn't mm-hmm. really know much about Haiti. It really wasn't on their radar. It just really wasn't. Even though it's yeah. in the Western Hemisphere, people didn't, they just didn't get it. And so in 2008, when the missionary from Haiti came to church and talked about it and what, how we could become involved, it just lit our world up. And Kevin was so excited. <laughs> and he came home and he said, 
ah, this missionary came to church and here's this organization. I think we need to be a part of it. And before I knew it, he was on fire for Haiti. And the man spent a lot (laughs) of time there. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, God, you're so amazing. I mean, so that's the takeaway is the way that God works. He's constantly assuring us that he is with us, that he walks with us, that he is is intricately involved in our lives and, and is aware of every little detail. And so, yeah. And if you'll let him be involved, he, he will be, which is so cool. Definitely. And just a little story from my family about Haiti. My father, who's an amazing man, he's passed away now, is with the Lord. But he would always say, you know what? I want to support people that go out to other people groups. I don't want to be one of those people. I'll just be a supporter. So he said this for years growing up, and my mom was all gung-ho, like, we need to go. And he's like, mm, no. So somebody came to our church speaking about Haiti and their need for water wells down there after the earth, uh, well, I think it was after the earthquake. And sure enough, my dad, my father, <laughs> who never wanted to leave American soil, went down to Haiti, uh, Haiti to help spearhead this well-drilling team. And they took care of this little village. They helped do some building there and everything. And it was right up his alley. He loved it. He was a changed man after that. Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah, he, my husband was there right after the earthquake. And um, the stories that he told of worship among all of the death was just really a testimony to the goodness of God. And we have friends from Haiti that are very dear to us. So yeah, it was what what a God we serve. I'm so glad that there is so more awareness true. now in in that country because of the earthquake. It was horrendous, and I'm sad that it took something mm-hmm. like that to create such awareness. So, getting back to your list of things, there was something else you had on your list. <laughs> I felt like that was another one of those you know vision <laughs> things. I'm thinking, my Lance, this woman has had a ton of stuff happen, um, which is so cool. I in my last podcast, which hasn't aired yet, I interviewed. I can't say I interviewed. I talked with a couple of my high school students, which are now, they're now in college. And we talked about visions. And I said, um, you know, I didn't really even have my first vision until I was in my 50s. And I talked a little bit about that. But as I explained to you earlier, I had an hour and 40 minutes recorded by the time we finished talking, the girls and I, and I needed to take stuff out. So I ended up taking that out anyway. But my point is, that's amazing to me that you've had so much of that. And, and I laud that and I, I applaud it. I, I'm excited for the ways the Lord has showed himself to you. I had told the girls, I said, yeah, I had to wait 55 years for my first vision, but uh, it's okay. It's okay. I, we, all, we all learn and are given gifts in, in different measures so as to share. So tell me about the visions that you have, the continued ways God has talked to you. Well, the one, yeah, so I just had these little smatterings that we've talked about a little bit when I was um, moving forward in my Christian life, my walk, and the Lord was taking me on and putting me into a different kind of job situation, you know, working with uh, First Nations kids and Native American kids at a camp, which I loved camp work, but I wasn't really moving into anything that was more miraculous for quite some time until I was, when I was working at Broken Arrow Bible Ranch in New Mexico, I realized that because of my upbringing, I had pretty much ignored the Holy Spirit. Hmm. You know, it was, I I talked to Jesus, and I talked to the Father, but I just didn't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit because he was kind of scary from my training. 
so I realized this, and I, I'm sure he was the one making me aware of it, and I apologized to him. I remember falling on my living room floor just weeping and in tears going, I am so sorry that I have ignored you pretty much my entire Christian life. I, I, what can I even say to make this up to you kind of a thing? And he, of course, graciously forgave me, but my life began to change after that. So I met my husband not long after we got married in 2001 and moved back to British Columbia at that time. And a friend sent me a, a cassette tape series. Does that like date me or what? <laughs> but a relate. cassette tape series called Connecting with God Through Prayer by a lady named Margaret Circleson. I'd never heard of her before, but she had done a seminar at their church. So I start listening to this cassette series, and I'm just like, this is great stuff. And she talked about listening to the Lord. You know, I mean, people have known about listening prayer for millennia. Why did I never get that memo? I don't know. But I never really did a lot of listening to the Lord. I did a lot of talking when I yeah. prayed, and then just kind of went off and did my thing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I need to try this. So just, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad the Lord is patient with me. So I told the Lord, all right, I'll give you five minutes. I'm going to listen <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> not, not knowing what was going to happen. So I sit on my couch. It's quiet. My husband is outside doing something. And I put my little timer on and close my eyes. And it starts out with I suddenly get this picture in my spirit of, of myself in this just pearly kind of white expanse with nothing else around me. And I'm just kind of looking around going, okay, this is interesting. And a few seconds into this, bam, Jesus is in front of me. And he looks like he does in Revelation 1. Like, he is blazing fire Ooh. and snow white hair and, and you know, glowing like bronze. And, oh, my goodness. I mean, even now I'm getting goosebumps. Um, and... I, I was stunned. I, what in the world? You know, I, I wasn't expecting anything like this when I first started. And I, in my spirit, I hit the ground and I started backing away from him, just going, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Uh, I, and an Isaiah moment. One phrase. And he said, you know, at that point, he just said, I'm the Alpha and I am the Omega. And then we were done. And I was on the couch shaking and crying and going, what? just happened oh my goodness and but once you have a taste of jesus and who he really is you are never going to be satisfied with anything less than i that. love that yes so that Amen to that that started me on my journey with him and we started meeting on a regular basis and for the first the next few times he kind of looked like he did that first time, and it was a little freaky, and he would only speak to me in, in scriptural phrases. Like, I mean, scripture straight from the, the Word of God. And he is the Word of God. Actually, if you read that in Revelation 19, his name is the Word of God, so it's very appropriate. Yeah. But then after that, he started to look uh, more normal, I guess. Not all flaming and everything, like a person, and we would meet together and walk and talk and, and talk about all sorts of <laughs> things. And he's told me many interesting things since that time about myself, my family, my circumstances, my situation, things in the world, and this kind of thing. All that I have faithfully recorded in my little journals. But that relationship has changed to a point where I, I, I couldn't talk about it. I mean, the fact that we're having this conversation now just shows that the Lord has grown me to a point where I couldn't talk about it for years. Why was that? Actually, even with my husband. 
Why? Just because it was so, it felt like it reached all the way down into the very depths of my heart and soul and just like shredded them. I was, I was, you know, you heard people say they're wrecked by God. I, it was, wow. It felt like I was wrecked by the Lord. I really couldn't talk about it hmm. um, until I felt like he gave me a release a few years after that where I could start to speak with people a little bit about wow. it. Wow. That's something else. Did you see a rainbow around him at all? Because I always think when I think about Revelation and the way he's described, I think, ah, oh, there's a rainbow around him. No, I didn't see it then. Well, I mean, at that particular time, no, but I've seen, yeah. we, we've, we've seen many different things. And yes, there has been different rainbows, and there's also been interesting times with the spirits of God, the seven spirits of God, which are each color of a rainbow. So there's been a lot of color involving yeah. our time. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I've had so many people, why color speak? Well, there you go. You've just wrapped it up for me. In there a nutshell, that's it. That's, the Lord loves yeah. color. I mean, just think. But, he loves yeah, color. Yeah. Our world is infused. Our universe is infused with color. Exactly. And and the rainbow is still a promise of his love to us and his commitment of adoration and devotion to our well-being. And he has given me so many rainbows in moments that I've... I've needed them desperately and and there's a rainbow and every time mm. I see one I'm just assured that you know I'm I'm in good hands and I feel so loved and yeah I mean I can't imagine a world in a monotone way because it's it's just so full of color and color is his love for us so that's exciting and I I just yeah I crave those verses too when I see them in the Bible that talk about that and so much more as you said once you have a taste of him, you go a little crazy for him. You know, that's why well, outsiders yeah, can look at us and do. think, they're weird. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> yeah, because I used to look at people that, that follow Jesus and thought, mm, I wonder what the deal is. I mean, like, did they really need a crutch that badly? What is so insufficient in their lives? They need this. Wow, was that thinking so small minded. <laughs> so I'm so glad he got a hold of me and oh, taught me better. So... Well, That's like Paul exciting, says Grace. in Corinthians, you know, he talks about in Corinthians, like, if we are out of our minds, it's for the Lord. If we are in our minds, yeah. it's for you. So, I mean, there is definitely, um, the Lord has led me into some very, like, you think of the early early Christian mystics, like St. Teresa of Avila and Brother Lawrence and some of the other ones. I He led me to read all these people, and these were people that were just so in love with the Lord. Mm-hmm. They, they... It, just it infused their entire life. There is no other, I mean, it sort of like leaked out of their pores. They loved him so much and he shone out of them. Hmm. Yeah, I love St. Augustine. Oh my goodness. Have you read him? Yeah. He just speaks from my heart. Yeah. I mean, I just, the confessions are just so real to me and really feel like he's speaking what I'm thinking and feeling. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at creation, as all of it is a testifying, thing. Everything testifies to the glory of God and and the one who made it and the love he has for us. All of his creation does. So I love that, that the rocks would cry out if we were not to do that. As he said, you know, in Luke, Luke Mm -hmm. 19, when he's riding into Jerusalem on a colt, the colt of a donkey, and the people are shouting Hosanna and some of the Pharisees in the crowd say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to knock it off. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so I sort of like make it my mission. It's kind of, and there's a new song I heard the other day and I thought, oh, it just hit my heart so hard. 
I will not have the rocks cry out of my place. Mm-hmm. I just won't. Oh, that's good. I just won't. And that, that's uh, yeah, one of isn't the it? things that, that drew me into interest in the quantum realm. Because if everything, the Lord has created everything. And he's like in Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews. It really is my favorite book in the Bible. But his word upholds everything. And when you think about the quantum realm, and I don't know if you've done any look, looking into it or studying of it, but the fact that the quantum realm is fashioned the way that it is and functions the way that it does is just a testimony to his word upholding everything in creation. You know, it's funny that you would say that because I've been wanting to do more research on the quantum realm. I really have. And I am about 40,000 words into a novel I started a while back, and I just haven't been able to get to it. And so much of it involves that thinking. And I thought, oh, I need I need to do some more research. So now I'm kind of having like a little moment. Got some here Another reason you. God connected me with grace. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would love to know about it. So for those who don't know, would you define that? The quant- okay, the quantum realm is the realm that is beyond what we consider the atomic. It is the smallest particles that are known to scientists at the present time. At the it present is the time. functionality of what everything is made up of. And it, it works under laws that are completely different than the macro level that we see all around us. Mm-hmm. Like the laws that we function in on a daily basis, it is completely separate and, and well, not separate, but functions very differently than those laws. The fact that a particle can be both a wave and a particle at the same time. It can function as a wave and still be a particle. The fact that it can be in one place here and then be interconnected with a split particle of the same type, and they'll both do the same thing. It could be anywhere in the universe, and they could both be affected by the same thing, doing the same thing simultaneously. There's just so much mm-hmm. that is is very, well, really supernatural if you want yeah. to do it that way because it's how it's amazing how the lord has put things together the more that i learn the more fascinated i am exactly the more i learn about science the more confirming it is of a creator god and so that's that's the great mystery when i see scientists espousing philosophies that are contrary to creative design intelligent design i think but how on earth are you in science how do you not understand this how is it not seen it's absolutely crazy. And oh, we could talk all day about it. Um, and I love, are you familiar with Ken Ham? I just love everything that Answers and oh, Genesis yes. puts out. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been in, I've seen him in lectures. I, I use his, some of his material in class, in our worldviews class as curriculum. I've led small groups he's, using he's his material. He sure does. He sure does. And I, so the bottom line is the reason I bring him up is we, we have to be prepared to give an answer for, the reason we feel the way that we do. And we live in a society where so much is available to us now in our day and age that we do have answers. And so it doesn't suffice to just say, well, look around, we can see that God created everything. Well, now we have proof, conclusive proof that that is exactly what is going on down to the very smallest protons and neutrons that come together and move around in such a way as Mm -hmm. to defy logic. And yet it happens. (laughs) And my my husband's favorite question to a professor in college was, he waited after class to see a professor and he said, so I just want to ask you, because I'm trying to sort all of this out. Define gravity for me. What is gravity? How does it happen? Exactly. You know what I mean? You know where I'm going with this. There's no answer to that. We don't know. It's just crazy and exciting. 
and exciting and truly I mean the Lord told me a while ago now when I was first starting this you know relationship with Jesus the way that we now have it he was just like there is always more you know when you think that you've reached the end of something there is always more and for somebody who loves adventure and mystery that was just like my lifeblood there's always more to explore and I, I want to, like, I like to infuse those things into my books as well, because I want people to understand that God is not a boring God. We're not going to go to heaven someday and sit around on clouds, you know, strumming harps and, you know, being bored. There's so much to do. And he's such an amazingly creative God that we, we have so much to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, it blows our mind. And I think when we try to figure him out, or we think we have it all figured out, or I just love it when I hear people say, I think, and then, you know, I always kind of brace myself when I hear that this is the way it's going to be. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't want to think. I mean, <laughs> I I can have some ideas and I can know that it is going to be wild and so much better than we experience here. But from what I've seen here on the planet that blows my mind, I can't even imagine, I can't begin to imagine what it's going to look like beyond here. Mm-hmm. So getting back to the, you know, protons and neutrons thing and the fact that they're so light that we say that they don't even have weight it seems so simplistic. To yeah, say- and you go down to the quantum particles yes. below the protons and neutrons, which you know some of them are some of them do have mass, but some of them are massless, and yeah. they just are a force that creates and will actually affect the other quantum particles around them. They don't even have mass themselves. It's really wow, great stuff. Close well, your mind. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, how does that happen? It's it's mind boggling. It's from a God who speaks. God who speaks things into creation, and he speaks even now through so many things, our words, his word, the word of God. <laughs> so much. Are the natural world surrounding us. Yeah. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear, he is always talking. Yeah, that's the thing. He doesn't expect us to believe anything blindly. He gives it all to us. What, you know, I'm going to ask that. I always ask everybody, what is the single, you've given me so much, so I don't know if there's any point, but... What's the single biggest piece of evidence as far as you're concerned for the realness of God? That he will come to you when you call him. If you actually want to know him, he will be right there. Mm. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I mean, there's there's evidence in the natural world. We could talk about, you know, like the creation versus evolution. All those kinds of evidences are important, but... The relational evidence, the heart-level connection is what every human wants. And if you want a heart connection with somebody who loves you unconditionally, and you ask him, he'll be right there. Yeah. We're designed for that. We're designed to have that heart connection. And that's why we all long for it. And we all long to be loved. And it's, it's well and good to understand him intellectually, but you're missing a world of opportunity if it's not done on a heart level. And I understand where you're coming from because I remember being a new believer and hearing, <laughs> hearing information about how, you know, we, feelings are bad and we can't go with how we feel and, and our heart is, is not to be trusted. And yet, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what the Bible says. We are to love our, the Lord, our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul with all of our strength. Mm-hmm. Yes. We need to use our minds. Yes. We need to be lucid. However, he gave us feelings. So we can't dismiss those as inconsequential 
or even inappropriate as some would have us feel. And that's the thing that that saddens me because I think so many people miss out on a relationship with him because of the humanness of the church. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're human. We make mistakes throughout history. The church has made huge mistakes, some more colossal than others. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, if you dismiss the Lord because you hope to find him through human means or materialism, you're not going to find him. The only way to find him is spiritually through what we cannot see, but what we know to be true and what we can feel. And then all of the intellectualism can back that up. Yes. I mean, I and think it's humorous, really, because I tend to be more intellectual. I am definitely more on the analytical side of things and kind of always sort of try to keep the heart under control. And it's the heart. It's my heart that Jesus went after. He was like, you know, mm. you, you and me and your mind are fine. Like, you've got all the case for Christ and the Josh McDowell evidence that demands a verdict. You've got all that stuff down. Love those. Nice. I own both of those. <laughs> but it's your heart that I want, and that's what you're keeping yes. from me. So when he went after me, it was for the heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. What can you say to encourage those that are listening that aren't necessarily sure that that's, that's how they feel or want to feel? Or those that might feel that there's some rigidity that isn't appealing to them? And of course, those are usually the sort that use a long history of abuses by the church to justify their position. And, you know, we don't, we don't need to necessarily get into the history of all of that. We can say that it hurts our own hearts, probably. And I'm speaking for you, Grace, but mm-hmm. it does. It hurts. Most, right. most Christians do feel that way, right? I mean, it's just like when we see those, I'll never forget my daughter was a teenager. She was down on the plaza in Kansas City and by a bookstore was walking by and there were people on the corner yelling at her, screaming at her in her face saying, you are a sinner. You're going to hell. And she was young. I mean, I think Kelsey was about 16. She turned around and got in someone's face basically nicely and said, you know what? You're right. I am a sinner. But you're wrong. I'm not going to hell. I have Jesus. You know, <laughs> and, she, and she was 16, and she had she had she the was. wherewithal to do that. I am so impressed. I would have cowered and shrunk oh, away. That was when I was 16. Oh, yeah. No, not Kelsey. This was the same girl that told off her roommate's boyfriend that kept showing up and in college. And he kept showing up at the dorm and staying all night and eating all of their food. And she just took him to task for it. She said, yeah, I put my finger in his face and said, what is your problem? You're eating my food. And he said, the fraternity stops serving at five o'clock. And Kelsey said, and that's my problem. How is it my problem? She said, I am on a fixed budget here. You're eating my food. And she said, you're disrespecting my roommate, disrespecting me, and you're disrespecting yourself. And he said, wow, no one's ever said that to me. And Kelsey said, who raised you? Wow. And so I said, I said, yes, I right. said, Kelsey. I'm, I'm impressed by this Yeah, girl. I asked Ooh. her, I said, did you really? She says, I sure did. <laughs> so it was good. It was one of those. Yay! I didn't screw my kids up moments for me. Um, so it was good. She was able to she was able to adequately defend herself. But you know, that's the thing. I mean, I I see that sort, or I see social media postings where people are calling out Christians for allegedly doing whatever. But I would 
I would argue, you know, just because you stand on a corner and yell at someone or you blow up an abortion clinic or whatever it is you're inclined to do, calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. You know, and I would say, why don't y'all look at what Christianity is to those who are truly following and loving Jesus Christ, who is all about love. And so, yeah, again, I guess I'm circling back around to my question. What would you say to those people that are really put off by all yeah, of this? Well, that is the thing. That is the thing. We will, he will, the world will know that we are Christians mm. by our love. Um, and God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah. Then that is, that love is the bottom line. There, there is place for truth, and by no means should we compromise yes. the truth. But it's how we deal with truth. I think that is very important. And for those that are saying, you know, well, Christians are hypocrites. They've done these things. And I'm just like, don't you think that breaks the heart of God, mm-hmm. too? This is a God who sent his only son to die for us, ungrateful humans. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that if that doesn't show you love, I mean, what will? And trying to imagine sending your own child, you know, to die for somebody else, isn't, for most parents, is unthinkable. So the fact that he did that, that's just love encapsulated. Yeah. And that is the thing. They will know we are Christians by our love. We are not going to change people's minds and hearts by argument. In fact, arguments usually very counterproductive. It is by demonstrating the Lord's love. Yeah, absolutely. That is that is very, very true. So good. So good. So, Grace, how is your faith sustained these days? I think even Christians have gotten down lately. It's... Again, we're talking about our humanness, and it's easy sometimes to feel like um, the Lord is calling us into things that are maybe harder than than we're willing to endure or into places we're not really willing to go. And how do we know with any assurance? I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't ask you ahead of time this, but I just feel like we could talk about it. How do we know ahead of time that no matter what comes— you know, you've written about end times in your books. No matter what comes, how do we sustain that faith? It's by spending time with Him. Truly, that, I mean, how I sustain my faith is I carve time out to spend with Him because I have to have that connection with Him. There right. is, Jesus is the one that says, I give you my peace, not as the world gives, do I give it to you? The peace and the hope is found in Him. If you don't have a connection with Him, you will not have peace and hope. So truthfully, yeah. I make time in my day, almost every day, not every day, not perfectly by any means, but I make time to spend with him. And I'm talking, you know, quite a, quite a while, you know, 30, 45 minutes, an hour if I can. And I know for a lot of people that is a lot of time, but I have to have that connection with him. That's what fills me up to be able to go mm-hmm. out and do anything else in the world around me with any degree of success. So following hard after God, that is a quote from Hudson Taylor's uh, biography, that he was a man who followed hard after God, and the Lord used him in amazing ways. So the only way to have that power and that strength in your life is to be connected to the source, and the source is Jesus. So truly, it's the time. And it's the Word. I spend time, you know, I have a Bible reading plan, I do those kinds of things, and I do online church, and we do online community with people, but it is the time with Jesus itself that gives yeah. me what I need. 
Right. And it does change the atmosphere. It does change your heart. It does change your mindset to, to be with him in his presence. And, and also the other thing is like when you're worshiping, um, even when you're worshiping through the storm, it, there's something about it that changes everything and, and sets you on a better course. And I know the other night, I was going to, my husband and I were going to have a date night and long story short, our power, we had a power issue. And I said, why don't you just go ahead and pick something up in town and, you know, we'll, we'll eat here. And I said, go ahead and turn the news on ahead of time. Um, There was one, one show we watched specifically. And it's really funny. I don't watch the news a lot. And I think that's sort of funny because I do afternoon news. <laughs> and I I wait and I gather my news when I'm working. And then outside of that, I try not to watch a whole lot on television. I mean, I do watch some important, um, what I feel are important sources, but I absolutely will not watch anything in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And this particular night, we were watching something and the news just really got to me. And I mean, it hurt my heart, Grace. It hurt so badly that I had to look at him and say, I've got to just go upstairs. And I was crying. And I just needed to get with God. And I I was fighting the emotion that I felt. And I know that we can all relate to this in the world right now. I It hurt so badly that it felt physically like someone was taking a knife to my heart. Mm-hmm. And yet... As soon as it was over, and I kind of, I felt like the Lord was letting me cry on his shoulder. He led me to Isaiah 41. And I read Isaiah 41. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it changed everything. It just did because that's so encouraging. And so, which reminds me about what this reminds me of what I was going to say earlier. And that is, for those who are seeking a relationship with Christ and have maybe, been hurt by history or the past or one specific person or the church itself. Remember, all of those things may be instruments for the Lord, but they're no substitute for a relationship with him directly. And so therefore I can say, you know what? I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt terribly by the church, but the church is the church. The church is full of human people, but my God will never hurt me. And so therefore, I can have a relationship with him that's secure and promising and full of hope because I'm assured that he always has my back. And therefore, I can put myself into other circumstances like churches, like other groups where I know humanness and frailty will rear its ugly head at some point, And yet I will be assured that my salvation and my relationship with my Lord Jesus is intact, despite all of the mess. <laughs> and so... Having a relationship with him. Oh, that's so well said. I mean, that is so well said. Just because it is a mess. People are a mess. Yeah. We, <laughs> the Lord is working on transforming us, but we're a mess. We all are. So the only safe place, the only safe haven is the Lord. Yes. And when we realize that, I think of Psalm, uh, the Psalm that says, He guided us to our desired haven so that we have that security, that, that place of rest. In him. And Hebrews also talks about there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So that means there's actually a rest with him. We don't have to strive. Mm. We don't have to strain. We don't have to try to be somebody that we're not. We don't even have to be try, try to be who we are. But we have that peace and that rest with him. Yeah. And he's the one that bolsters us and supports us. Yeah. And see, when we do that, what I have found is 
then I'm allowed the grace that I need for those that have hurt me, especially in the name of Christ. In other words, what I mean by that is when I led a group of young adults, I was always hearing things like, well, what about the Crusades? You know, how can you follow? How can you have anything to do with Christianity when you consider what happened during the Crusades? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how how they started or what our conjecture is or what our preconceived notions are or how errant history may have been in writing the past in this regard. None of that really matters if we get back to the fact that we're all we're all a mess. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of who God is and who we're supposed to be in him. So if we understand that, then we can give grace to those situations and say, I may not understand. I may not have all the facts. But what I do know is God is God. It doesn't matter what these people have done. And so I can carry that forward into the future, into a place where I've been wounded by the church. Do I step back into a church? Do I risk that again? Well, of course I do, because I know my God. (laughs) And so I don't need to assign any baggage or triggers to this when I know who he is. And, you know, we're still a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. I can say that. I can intellectualize oh, yeah. that. We, we, My heart kicks in sometimes. We definitely will be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if even any of that made sense, but um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and there there is faith involved. There there is um, there has to be a, a faith that is involved. We have to take a step of faith in his direction. Just even exist, believing that he exists, as Hebrews eleven six says, if we believe God exists, then he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Yes. He will reward you. He will meet you. It doesn't have to even be a big step. It can just be a little step saying, okay, I'm turning towards you. I believe you're, you exist. Please come and reveal yourself to me. Let me know that you're a real person, that you can actually listen to me and hear me and, and answer me. So those yeah. things are bottom line as far as just, keeping your faith strong, having a faith to begin with and keeping it well-grounded and strong in these very difficult and becoming increasingly dark times. Yeah, for sure. And that's just the thing. I mean, taking one step at a time, you've just said that it's it's where we want to be. Don't worry about all of the other stuff. You know, just take one step at a time. And my my first thought is, this is, you're right, it's a dark time. And the way that we deal with that, and we find that peace and comfort, and we are liberated from it, is to seek God and his protection. And the way that we do that is we just reach out and say, okay, who are you? Show me who you are. Rather than try to find a God that fits into your picture of who he should be, or one that would meet your needs adequately, ask God who he is. And if you want to know the truth, you will you will find the truth. And one of my favorite authors is Nabil Qureshi. He wrote Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He passed away from cancer a few years ago. And I think he's probably one of the first people I'll want to meet in heaven. I think he did just such a great job, he and his his debate partner, David Wood. But I think it was one of them uh, pretty sure that it was Nabil. I don't know. He could have been quoting David, but he said something like this, and I'm paraphrasing again, but he who doesn't seek the truth at all costs will rarely be disappointed. Oh, that's good. But I think about that and I think, but wait a minute, you know what? The reverse is true too, though, right? Because he or she that seeks the truth at all costs will rarely be disappointed. 
So I guess you just have to ask yourself the question, do I want what's comfortable or do I want the truth? Yes. Because as you'll find out seeking the truth, the truth is always more comfortable than it than deception is. So, yeah, I mean, seek him at all costs and see where he takes you. And Grace and I can testify to the fact that it will be a place more joyous than you can imagine. That is the truth. It is more joyous than you can imagine. Yeah. And it'll be even better beyond this. Yes, beyond. (laughs) Better beyond. I know I need to wrap it up because... We've been talking a little while. I have a tendency to do that as I <laughs> I issued that disclaimer early on in the conversation. Um, what else would you like to say, Grace? What else would you like to share with us? I would just encourage your listeners to follow hard after the Lord. And if that means just taking that first baby step and going, would you please reveal yourself to me and show me that you're real? Then, then do that. This is a time when we need the Lord and we'll need Him on, in increasing um, ways. We're going to need Him to be strong and firmly grounded in Him to be able to stand what's going to be happening in the world around us. So follow hard after the Lord. That is the, the best thing you could possibly do. Yeah. And ask yourself, wouldn't you want to be someplace better than this after this life of yours is over? And what is it going to cost you? If you choose Jesus and it turns out you're right, you've gained everything. Everything. And one thing I will say, just in, in finalizing, uh, finalizing our conversation, I guess, is I was uh, given a gift at my high school graduation. It was seven rules to live by. And the last one that is stuck with me and that I refer to on a regular basis is to expect big things from a big God. And I have put that into practice and I have seen mm-hmm. him do amazing things. There were so many more stories of just ways that he's worked things out and ways that he's provided financially and ways that he's taken care of us on a daily basis that anytime you expect big things from a big God, you will not be disappointed. I like that saying even better than mine. I have a saying that's expect a miracle every day. And I do. But and and I try to when I wake up in the morning, first thing is just to thank God for the day and Tell him I'm very expectant about what he will do that day. And it's it's a good way to start the day. I'm going to be real with you, though. I mean, there are days where I look back on it and think, well, God, that didn't really work out like I wanted it to. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'm going to be okay with that. You know, I'm going to trust the process. So most of the time, though, it's it's just it's crazy good. Just, yeah, expect big things from a big God and don't limit him or attempt to limit him by limiting yourself. Mm, True. Very true. Well, Grace, it's just been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Tell me again, the names of your books before I let you go. Sure. The names of my book are Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. That's the first book. The second book coming out on February 15th is Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's assignment. Okay. Thank you so much, Janet. I wish I had read those. I would have been able to speak better of them. And then the other thing is, I want to ask you as a missionary, how can we pray for you? Pray for just good relational connections in our community. Okay. That's easy. That's the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do that. 
All right. Grace S. Gross, my guest today. Thank you so much for being a part of Color Speak. It's just been a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm, I'm just still grinning ear to ear because it really truly has been a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janet. I'm so happy to have been here. Please continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts. This is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating relevance, restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons.